right, so we are progressing in our um, alternation of the Baptist Confession one week and the book of Job the next week. So this week we are in the Baptist Confession again, which brings us to chapter 23 of lawful oaths and vows. And we're going to be in the book of Matthew, so you can have um, mommy help you find the book of Matthew, okay? Um, so when we think of oaths, I thought I would just start off by provoking our our thoughts a little bit. What are, some, what are some oaths that are common to society or to Christian life these days? Um, if you can think of something, and I'll, I have a short list here I can name, but I'm sure you guys can come up with common oaths that are, are taken. How about an easy one, like marriage? In marriage, we take an oath. It is in the witness of, of many people, but also in the witness of God, and we we vow uh, fidelity to our wife or to our husband. What about an oath of office? Sometimes we have elected officials, they, they take an oath of office, perhaps a president or a, a mayor or a public servant. What about if you're uh, called to court? You may have to swear an oath in court to testify to the truth. What about baptism and membership in the local church? These are also both oaths, if you will, where we, um, in one sense, swear allegiance to the Lord and to one another. The question comes, though, are these oaths, are these things um, good and right and proper for the Christian life? Now, it might seem like an odd question to ask, but it's a question that's been asked in church history, and for... um, not, not least of which among the reasons why we would ask this would be Jesus' teaching in the book of Matthew in chapter 5. So I want to turn there and read Jesus in this Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 25. When we think of, of swearing an oath, we should automatically think of the words that Jesus taught early on in his ministry in this great sermon. And we're in a section of this sermon where Jesus is speaking about the law and the elements of the law, but not pure and simple. He's talking to the people, and he's telling them, you have heard it said something about the law, but I say something else about the law. Now, what, they, what the people have heard said to them is commonly what the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day have been teaching about the law. That's what these people have heard. And then Jesus comes, and he says, but I say to you, And Jesus then is the the authority, the lawgiver. Jesus says to them, and he teaches them the law the way it is rightly understood. And so, as we come to Matthew chapter 25 and verse chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 33, we can read a, a similar portion of this sermon. Jesus says, Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely. But you shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil." 
Now, here we have a a teaching of Jesus, which seems very, very straightforward. In fact, we, we must admit, if we take it at its very plain and basic, but also isolated understanding, if we look at it purely by this text alone and not what the whole canon of Scripture says about oaths, we would read this and, I think, reasonably or at least plausibly come away and say, Jesus here says we ought not to swear by anything. Therefore, we are to say yes and no. That is, we're to be honest but we're not to make any sort of heightened, uh, heightened pledge of vow or commitment or anything like that. And I think, I think it's right for us to look and at least be, um, at first, sensitive to that understanding of this text. We, we must admit that would be what would ordinarily be understood, taken in isolation. But we know that God has not given us only Matthew chapter 5 and verse 33 through 37 to understand oaths and vows. We must understand the whole canon of Scripture and what is being spoken of here. So let's, let's look at this passage and try to understand it. And for some background here, uh, I just want to mention the reason why this comes up is not, not a hypothetical. Maybe you've wrestled with this in your life. Or maybe you've known some Christian who has, but the, the view is still around and common today. As it was common in uh, the 1600s, the 15th century, and, and before, um, the, the Anabaptists, which were sort of a, a radical group, uh, a, fringe, not a fringe group, a radical group in terms of mainstream orthodoxy, certainly took the position that you should not swear any oaths or vows at all. Um, and if we think about that, in terms of functioning with society, in terms of uh, going to court, or all of these oaths of office, all these things we thought of, it could seem quite disruptive. So we'll come back to that historical context in a minute, but I just want to provoke, this question is not a hypothetical question, it's really a matter of of quite practical import, um, even as we consider how should should we consider marriage vows, how should we consider uh, functioning in the public square, and these sorts of things. So, Jesus says, you have heard it said um, of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Where, uh, where might we find this in the Old Testament? Well, we would find this in the book of Deuteronomy. So let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 20, if we can. Um, and you can listen along if you don't want to turn there. Deuteronomy chapter 10 would be one good place to turn. You'll probably beat me there with my fumbling fingers this morning. Deuteronomy 10 and verse 20 says, You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. And by his name you shall swear. Or we could turn also to Leviticus and see something very similar in in Leviticus. And I probably should have written these down for time's sake. Um, I just want to take us to a couple, and I I apologize. I'm going to reference some material here just to keep me on track. So in Leviticus also we have a similar thing. And these words are going to be a little bit more closely aligned with what Jesus is speaking of the Pharisees saying, or what you you have heard it said. So, Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 12. 
If someone has it, they can go ahead and read that for us. Leviticus 19, verse 12. Very good. Very straightforward. You shall not swear by my name falsely. So we have both a positive command, you shall swear by the name of the Lord, and the, the negative, you shall not swear falsely by this name. <clears throat> Seems very straightforward. So then we must ask, okay, so what is Jesus treating here? What is the problem that Jesus is speaking about? Um, and so as we come to this and, and look at it, we're, we're trying to bring to the context of Jesus' teaching, all that the scriptures have to say about oaths and vows. And so since we have about 15 minutes, I'm going to, I'm going to, I wanted to take you to those two places as the basics, but I'm going to read a a, a summary here. This is from uh, Sam Waldron's exposition of this commentary. He just lays out some um, scriptural references for us very helpfully. And so I thought I would just read through here. That would give you a, a, a basic survey of oaths in the Bible. So we read, first off, if we think about oaths and swearing falsely, this is really talking about the, the third commandment, right? You shall not um, take the Lord's name in, in vain. And so we, we have Exodus 20 there, and we've already read from Deuteronomy. But there's also examples of God himself swearing to indicate his truthfulness. Think of Hebrews 6, where God says, because he could not swear by anyone greater, he swore by himself when he, when he swore to Abraham to um, profess the surety of God's oath to Abraham. We have examples in the Old Testament of saints and their swearing um, in Genesis uh, 24 by Abraham, Genesis 47 by Jacob, um, and, and Joseph, and Elijah, and Nehemiah, and Ezra. All of these took or made vows. Um, in the law of Moses, certain oaths were required by law. Uh, the prophets also indicate their lawfulness We could turn to Isaiah 45 and 65 and understand this, that the prophets understood oaths to be be, um, appropriate, of course not falsely though. And then we even have Christ's own example in in Matthew chapter 26, and we can turn there as well. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 26. This is an interesting one. Matthew chapter 26 and verse um, 62 through 64, Jesus stands before the high priest. I'll read this for us here briefly, starting in verse 62. And the high priest stood up and said, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, You have said so, but I say to you from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his robes and said, He has uttered blasphemy. What further witness do we need? You have now heard his blasphemy. Now, what's interesting about this is people have have looked at this and realized Jesus here does not rebuke the Pharisees for adjuring the name of God. In fact, Jesus remains silent and does not answer the Pharisees until the high priest 
calls, uh, calls him to bear witness before the living God. And at that point, Jesus confesses, he, he is the Christ, you have said so. And so even here, Jesus seems to have a category for rightfully invoking the name of God in, in an oath. Now, we could continue on even to see Paul's example of this. Um, Paul sometimes would, will heighten his um, profession or his, his sincerity. So if we went to 2 Corinthians in chapter 1, we could see this. G, Paul speaking about why he could, not, uh, he could not come to the Corinthians. And 1 verse 23 says, But I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. Or we could read in Acts 18 how Paul takes a certain vow, a religious vow. And so if we look at all of these things, what we're driving at is to say, okay, well, Jesus' words, as, as simple as they might seem in its plain context, might be something more that we need to look at here. Because the whole scope of Scripture seems to indicate that law, that Lawful oaths and vows are not sinful in and of themselves. So then we ask, well, what is Jesus talking about here? And, and, and the, really, the matter is that the Pharisees had up to this point, they took the commands of God about swearing oaths, and they turned them on their head, more or less. And we've seen how they did this with marriage as well, if you, if you recall back when we talked about that. But instead of reading a command which says, you shall not swear falsely by the name of the Lord, meaning that you shall perform all the vows to the Lord, what they say is, ah, you must, when you swear to the Lord, you shall not swear falsely, which then means that I can swear falsely by anything else. And so then they would heap on all kinds of other lesser things that they could swear by, and they taught that the law then gave them a caveat. As long as I didn't swear by the name of God, I could swear by heaven, I could swear by earth, or as we went through in the morning service, I can swear, I can swear by the temple as long as I don't swear by the gold of the temple. And in all of these ways, in common conversation, you could see how um, one might employ these things in order to, to heighten, heighten their sincerity and yet leave themselves a back door to get out of certain things. You could, you could imagine someone uh, raising the stakes and say, I swear by heaven and earth that I will do this. And yet things change and you decide I'm going to back out of this. And, and the priests say, well, you didn't swear. You didn't invoke the name of God. Therefore, this is lawful. It's lawful for you to back out of this. So Jesus here certainly is condemning um, false and vain oaths, um, but particularly he also goes on to say, not only um, shall you not uh, swear falsely and vainly, but really you shall not swear by anything else. And so as I take Jesus' words here in Matthew chapter 5, I think we could summarize it something like this. The Pharisees say, um, I'm going to turn there just a minute. Let me turn so I'm not talking and turning at the same time. Back in Matthew chapter 25. So Jesus would say something like this. Well, you have heard it said that the Pharisees, that you have heard it said that if you swear by the name of the Lord, then and only then do you have to do what you have performed. But I say to you, you should not swear by anything, heaven or earth, or take an oath by anything, your, the own hairs on your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. Jesus is saying, yes, you, there is really only one God of heaven and earth, and you can't swear by anything lesser and escape 
the force of the fact that this is God's heaven, this is God's earth. If you want to swear by heaven, you want to swear by earth, you want to swear by the temple, you want to swear by the hairs of your head, you have no say over those things, and it is one God, one Lord of this, of this temple. And so Jesus here is not, I, I think, forbidding all oath or vow-taking. Otherwise, we would have to say that the apostles themselves, the divine um, interpreters of, of Jesus, also misunderstood him, and that would utterly undermine all of our convictions on the scriptures and the way that Christian religion is given to us. And so we understand that Jesus here is forbidding vain and rash oaths and forbidding oaths to be taken in any other name besides the name of the Lord. Now, to make this a little bit practical, I was thinking this week, imagine in your marriage vows or something like that, the, the um, uh, officiator says, do you uh, so-and-so take him to be your lawfully wedded husband or lawfully wedded wife? And instead of saying, I do, you say, on whatever, on my mother's grave, I do. Now, while that might sound sort of like uh, you really mean what you're saying, really all you're saying is that you're giving yourself, you're giving yourself an out. You're saying, I'm not going to take this on the most serious level, which is before God, before the face of God, to say yes or no. And so I think as, as we've received many of these traditions in the Western church of marriage vows, we understand that we've taken the words of Jesus and understood them rightly in that we can, we can swear these vows before the Lord and we say, yes, I do. And we mean it as an oath before the Lord, yet we don't heighten it in any sort of way as to, as to make something else um, more dignified than to swear before the name of the Lord, before the face of God. Um, so here, Jesus, I think, has in view not so much the, um, the adding of an oath for the solemnity of the occasion, but an adding of an oath which would add sort of layers or degrees of honesty, right? Well, there's sort of the basic honesty that I have in everyday conversation, but if I add to that a certain oath, now I'm a little bit more honest, and if I add another oath, now I'm, now I'm even more honest. So I, I swore by the temple itself, he must mean the truth. And here Jesus says, no, honesty is required by the law throughout, always, and ever. But that's not to forbid or to say that there are appropriate times where the solemnity of the equation would help us to be particularly aware of the fact that God is witness to the vows that we make. And we could think of this particularly in terms of an office when, when you care for either the souls or the well-being of, of people that are entrusted to you or when you are taking vows that will last your lifetime before your um, wife or, or husband, that there is a particular solemnity because it is before the eyes of God that you are entrusted with these things. So, Back to the historical context and to the, the, the London Baptist Confession then. The, the historic context here really is that there are those who are going to the scriptures and looking at Jesus' teaching and making an absolute law of this and saying, therefore, it is, uh, it is incumbent upon all Christians everywhere to never, ever swear any oath at all. Therefore, even if the judge calls us into court, whether, the, whether we would take an oath of office or whether in our marriage or whether in church membership or anything, we will never, ever swear an oath at all. Now, in reaction to that, those who framed uh, our, the Savoy and Westminster Confessions of Faith, which are, are um, written uh, as sort of the backdrop to the to London Baptist, they had a bit more, um, well, specifically the Westminster had a bit more... Um, 
of a reactionary stance on it. They actually took the other side and said, therefore, if it's a good and proper oath, and it's laid on you by proper authority, then it's sin to not take the oath. Well, the, the Baptist Confession takes the middle ground here and says, no, it's, it's, it's appropriate and good to take oaths that are biblical, um, but leaves it at that and doesn't condemn those who would um, necessarily otherwise, even though we w- it would say that this interpretation of Matthew 5, which forbids Christians, is not an accurate interpretation. And, and this should be a lesson to us in terms of um, biblical um, interpretation and wrestling with text. This is the need for what they would call, um, if you will, doctrine or, or systematic theology. If, if we want to build um, individual theologies off of individual texts, we really have the ability to, to um, contrive many different things. But the, the role of the systematician is to look at the full scope of Scripture and say, how can I make all of these things um, attest to one whole and one consistent truth so that I might understand God's word more, uh, more wholly and more accurately? And so with, with that in mind, we can understand Jesus' words more helpfully. So I'm going to read then sort of what the, what the confession states, and then we'll, we'll have a couple minutes for discussion. So the confession sort of uh, summarizes what we've been talking about like this. Uh, the, the foundation is, a lawful oath is a part of religious worship, wherein a person swearing in truth, righteousness, and judgment solemnly calleth God to witness what he swears and to judge him according to the truth or falseness thereof. And so the foundation being a, a vow as a part of religious worship, we ought not to consider that meaning a vow as part of public corporate worship where we're taking vows as some sort of um, matter of our, our weekly gathering, but rather in terms of an oath is not part of ordinary common life. It is something set apart and special wherein we, we take oaths before the name of God and we call God to witness those things. Paragraph 2 then says, In the name of God only is that by which men ought to swear, and therein it is to be used with all holy fear and reverence, therefore, to swear vainly or rashly um, by that glorious and dreadful name, or to swear at all by any other thing is sinful and to be abhorred. Yet it is in matter of weight and moment for confirmation of truth and ending all strife, an oath is warranted by the word of God. So a lawful oath being imposed lawful, with lawful authority in such matters ought to be taken. So it here pays the, paved the path for submission to those authorities which would call you to attest an oath before the face of God as long as it is, it is due and it is before the face of God. You do not sin, and in fact you, you ought to, to submit to authorities in that way. Uh, paragraph 3, Whosoever takes an oath warranted by the word of God ought duly to consider the weightiness of so solemn an act, and therein to avoid to avouch nothing but what he knoweth to be true, for that by false, rash, and vain oaths the Lord is provoked, and for them the land mourns. And so here the, the confession starts to steer into or the counsel of taking false oaths should be a, a weighty matter to us, right? If we're gonna if we're gonna stand and, and again, this is not to lessen the need for honesty in all of life, but merely to say that when we, when we swear an oath, it, it heightens the, uh, the um, matter at hand, and we ought to realize that we do this in the name of the Lord and um, duly consider its, um, its dangers. And so those dangers are precisely what we're going to hit in paragraph 5 
Um, so first, an oath is to be taken in the plain and common sense of the words without equivocation or mental reservation. Um, and paragraph five, a vow which is not to be made by any creature but to God alone is to be made and performed with all religious care and faithfulness. But popish monastical vows of perpetual single life, professed poverty, and regular obedience are so far from being degrees of higher perfection that they are superstitions and sinful snares in which no Christian may entangle himself. Now, this last paragraph in five minutes, I'm going to try to wrap it up because I think this is actually practical and helpful for us to think about, okay? So in, in the Catholic Church, in some, in some religious um, settings, taking a vow for a particular end of uh, a vow of holiness or a vow of, of chastity or, or a vow of um, these sorts of things is, is seen as heightening your level of sanctification or, or putting you in a, in a notch above the rest, a cut above. But I think Jesus here, coming back to Matthew chapter 5, helps us to understand something of what is being done here. Look how Jesus says, anything more than the simple yes or no comes from evil. And, and why does it come from evil? Well, he says, because you don't have authority over your own head to make one hair white or black. And I think this is where the, the deception of the evil one comes in. You could imagine a setting where perhaps you yourself, having labored and struggled with, with sin, maybe a particular sin for a long time, you're at your wit's end and you say, I'm just going to put this to death once or for all. I'm just, I'm I'm just going to swear that I'll never do this again. And so you, you make some, some rash oath. You, 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 know, on, on, uh, you know, Lord, if I, if I do this again, take this from me, or um, I will do X and Y if, if, you'll, if I'll just, um, you know, if I'll just put this sin away once and for all. And then after having made this oath, of course, if, uh, if we are like most of us weak and we fall back into sin, then what happens? You see, the, not only do we sin in that case, but we have also broken our, our oath before God. We've, we've been not only sinners, but liars. And here Jesus says, look, you, you don't have authority over any of these things. Let your yes be simply yes and your no, no. So let's, as a church, not be easily persuaded um, into thinking that, that swearing oaths commonly or without, um, without thought or even by any other name or even commonly to, to um, heighten our level of sanctification or, or battle with the flesh. Let us not think that these are in any way um, actions which are wise or helpful because really they, they are of evil, as Jesus says. They come from the devil. And yet, at the same time, let's understand that God, in the way that he has made the world, in that um, he has given us witness that he himself will, will swear an oath and bind himself in particular solemnity, we also might follow in his example and say that there are times and places under um, particular, uh, particular weight moments, um, sorry, certain occasions of moment and weight, uh, wherein swearing an oath should be done with a clean conscience before the Lord. Um, and that's going to set us up really for the next parts of this confession where they're going to talk about our interaction with the, the civil magistrate and of marriage and those sorts of things. So there's a reason why they, they kind of covered this topic. Um, We've we got a couple minutes, though. I, I, I'd be happy to hear pushback or thoughts or confusions or anything like that. Um, because I know we, we flew through that at sort of a whirlwind pace.
Yeah, brother. Mm-hmm. Mm. And why are we doing that? Because we want our words to be more than they really are. Mm. That's what Jesus said. Just like your yes, be yes, you know, be no. Yeah. And your words be honest. And, you know, I can try to make it sound like my words are more than they really are. Yeah. Jesus said. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's right, brother. That's that's helpful helpful warning. We want to we want to say like, in the moment, we want to be able to really lay our words with particular emphasis and force, and say, "You ought to take my words as if they were God's words." And God's saying, "Look, there, there's only one person here who can guarantee His words, and that's God. So if you're going to say anything, say yes and say no, and and trust the Lord of heaven and earth, and be honest to Him. So yeah, that that's helpful and practical, brother." Okay. Well, not a question that we come every Sunday morning thinking about or wondering about, but probably a good one and a helpful one. Um, we've even dealt with this, maybe you're aware, not too long ago, we've dealt with this in our own, uh, in our own church. And so we, we'll run into people from time to time who might bring this passage up to you and, and say, see, that's why X and Y is wrong. We should never, ever swear any oath or vow. And you, and you can say, well, I, I see what you're reading there, but consider these other texts, consider the example of the apostles, and maybe we can come to a, a better understanding. All right, let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would help us if, if I, again, if I said anything that would um, undermine your true and perfect teaching, Lord, I ask that you would um, not only rebuke me and teach me better, but also help your people. But insofar as we have taught what is true with your word, we ask that we would help that you would help our yes be yes, our no no. We would not take more authority or weight to our own words, the words of men, than what is um, given to us by God with yes and no. And yet in your in your will and kindness, we ask that those things which are particularly momentous, um, that require a, a particular awareness of God as our witness, that we would do these things in clean clear conscience and uh, that you would teach our lips and our hearts to be honest, um, even in those times, for truly it is those times which may be very difficult, Lord. You, you say and, and attest to it multiple times in the Psalms, who shall dwell in your holy tent? Uh, he who, who does not swear falsely. Who shall ascend your holy hill? He who swears an oath and does not change even to his own hurt, Lord. So help us in our uh, walk with you to be honest and deal truthfully. We ask in your name. Amen.